I'd rather err on the side of being called reckless than wake up with a big giant pile of regrets of things that I wish I would have done. And if it doesn't work, whatever, <laughs> you know, how does your financial planner handle those conversations? It was amazing actually, because I have the best financial planner in the world and she, I was expecting this conversation to be a little like, um, I was expecting her to push back more and all I got, cause we, I do a lot of asynchronous voice. Um, I use voice memos a lot. And so I had sent her a voice memo and she sent one back. Like she was just like, look, I completely have your back. Like, let's go. Like, I can't think of any better way to do this. And now we had gone through some real serious, you know, sort of like tracking of budgets and thinking about things. And she's doing real serious planning around our house and, you know, revenue in the business and all of those things. So there's real work that's gone on. Mm -hmm. And I think that real work allows us the permission to go and right. let's go. Right. And, 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 and I think, I think if she, what I would expect from her is if she thought it was imprudent, like really thought, Hey, look, this is really putting some people at risk. But the problem is, where's that line? Like, that's the problem is like, yeah. And so I've just happened to find a financial planner who, who has done a really good job of understanding where my line is and my wife's line and kept her values off my plan, right? It's my plan. It's my wife's plan. And it's largely my wife's plan. I've almost been relegated at this point, which is great because I just do it. But she's done a really good job of helping us to find our plan and then, cause I could imagine she has other clients where she's like, no, that's a bad idea. Cause that's what they told her. Right. So she's done an amazing job. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Are there, so you're, you're also a financial planner. Yeah. You each, not, don't forget to get that recertified. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> no, no, I don't have any clients. I've got a bunch of friends that I help with here and there. But you but, did, right? Yeah, so, you yeah, you yeah, opened sure. an for RIA. Sure. Yep. And what year was that? Oh, that's a good 2002. Um, probably 2000. I left the brokerage world in 2000. I think it's 2004. So it was 2004 to 2012 was an independent firm. Okay. Called and, Prasada Capital. Wow. So, okay. And it's called what? It was called Prasada Capital. Prasada Capital. Why the name? Oh, this is a long story. It turns out it, it was a dream my wife was having around this place. It turns out we didn't have any clue, but Prasada, in the dream, we had been looking for the place to live. We were constantly like, where's the place? Where's the place? We, my wife has a huge sense of place. And she had a dream that she was in the place. And she was on the beach, like kind of like Keo Island. She's on the beach and you know, the dunes and then the, the grass shoes and you know, the old signs that say like town of, and they're faded and the paint's falling off and it's behind the grass. She pulled the grass back. She was like, I got to figure out where this is because this is the place our family should live. She pulled the grass back and said town of Prasada. Prasada. And she was like, what, what woke up? I go in type in Prasada. It means 
tranquility in Sanskrit. Pretty nuts. That's cool. So I was like, well, we don't know where to, where the place is, but do you mind if I name the firm that? She's like, oh, that's fine. So that's how it happened. Cool. And you left the brokerage and opened the firm yeah. as a way of continuing down this road of, I want to work with people. I want to help people navigate this I, this concept of wealth that diverges from your typical brokerage sales process that that you might see is that yeah i i and i had a great experience i have nothing you know and you're not saying anything now i'm yeah, just no. saying i so, sometimes in our like the independent space we hammer on that and i i had a great experience i just had great managers at all the firms i worked at i really actually left which is really weird to me now i left because i wanted i had I can't remember if it was Forbes or Fortune that had um, uh, the founder of D Rex Sinquist, the founder of DFA, on mm -hmm. the front, and it said how the real, how the smart money invests or something. I had that cover in the top drawer of my desk at the brokerage firm, and every time I opened the drawer, I would see that, and I wanted. At, there was something about, and there's a piece of the imposter syndrome in here. There was something about. It was mainly driven. My grandpa was a patent attorney, really re well-respected patent attorney, like nationally well-respected. And when I went, didn't go to law, I'm named after him. When I didn't go to law school, I remember my grandma, my grandpa died. I remember my grandma being, mm. I don't know that disappointed is, disappointed is probably too strong, but a little skeptical, sort of like, oh, are you sure? Mm -hmm. And I was always chasing that a little bit. Like, and that's where the SEMA designation came in from, you know, I almost started my CFA because I was always chasing this idea that I needed to have legitimacy. It's why I left one broker's firm to go to the other one with the bull because it was seen as like the thing, right? Well, when I read about this smart way to invest, I was like, I got to get access to that. So I largely left to get access to dimensional. That's largely what drove me leaving. Yeah. And then I uncovered this whole new world of, of, of like, Real, real planning, et cetera. So that's why I left. Yeah. That's very, that's very much <laughs> not what I expected you to say, which is great. And I, yeah, yeah. so at this point when you're leaving your firm and opening, your kids are how old? Oh, geez. That's it. Don't, that's, that's it. Um, uh, 2004, my like nine, seven, five, and not born one, maybe like four really young kids. And you're leaving a super ridiculously busy lives at yeah. that point. Yeah. And you're leaving a brokerage firm, opening up your own RIA. Are you bringing clients with you? Well, I, yeah, I didn't know how that worked. I, you know, yeah, I'm leaving a firm with insurance and a profit sharing account and a, and then, I hired an attorney when I left and said, here's my contract, help me follow it. And he said, oh, you mean you want to do whatever you can to get around it? And I said, no, I do not want to fight with anybody to help me follow it. So I took nothing, sat there and waited for the phone to ring. And one CPA, luckily the firm started calling. So they alerted all my clients I'd left. I didn't. Mm -hmm. And then one CPA called me like, what's the deal? And I was like, well, I can't, I can't. And he's like, well, can I? And I was like, I don't I, they're your clients. You can tell them whatever you want. Mm 
so that's that's what happened. So yeah, we ended up with plenty of our clients, but we did it the right way. Did it the right way. Um, any <laughs> so again, I'm I'm pausing for a second because I'm trying to wrap my head around this decision to leave a brokerage firm because you wanted access to funds. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that you yep. that you were interested in in being able to use for your clients. Yeah. That you didn't know you were gonna be able to bring over with you right. with right. a family of nine, seven, five, five four, and, and one. one. Yeah. And yeah. you know, midway through <laughs> your career and at the same time you're still I would imagine at this moment, still trying to prove your self as a, um, in this avenue that you've chosen since it wasn't a CPA or, you know, attorney yeah. journey that, that had potentially yeah. been laid out for you. That seems like a lot. And again, a very bold move that it makes Reckless. me, it makes me scared just to even think about it for you, but obviously it worked out. We're on this side of it, yeah. but in the moment, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Carl, like, I know. Did you I just, know. Did, you, I, did you just leap? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I mean, look, we did a little bit of like, if this happens, we're going to be fine. And here's the backup plan. And, but they weren't really well thought out. I, it, it's, it's, I, it's interesting to have this conversation because I'm just thinking through like, that's how I've lived my life. Yeah. And I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if it's reckless. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how to do it any other way. I'm, I, I, I wish I often, and this is where the imposter syndrome comes up. Like there's a lot of really, really lonely moments around all of those decisions. Cause I, I didn't know. <laughs> I just knew I could not do it. Right. Like I, I, I started, uh, one of my buddies talked me into thinking I should get my PhD here. Like it was like five years ago at university of Utah has a really, really internationally known set of business strategy and entrepreneurship professors. And one of them is a friend and he's like, you should come down here. I went down, took the PhD seminar, like the fall seminar with like eight other students. And, you know, it was amazing. And the whole time, though, the words they were using about business, I was just like, I what, what? Like, analyze competitive environment mm -hmm. and check the, you know, and come up with the, this and this and this. I was like, well, no, the only businesses I'm interested in, I'm only interested in business as a tool to forcibly insert an opinion into the world. And I'm more, these are just art projects to me. And I'm compelled. I can't stop. I've tried. I've, I mean, look, lots of therapy. Like I, I, you know, I've tried to stop. And we've now gotten better because I've got really good systems around me. I basically created an environment that allows me to continue to do what I'm really, really good at. Because I'm not very good at very many things, but I'm really good at a few. And I can't exist in other structures. Largely because of what you're pointing to. You're like, what? what, how, what, what? And 
I think that to me, one of the th- reasons, one of the things I want to get out more to people is like, I know there are other people like me mm-hmm. that just yeah. feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm not built for this world. I'm not like, what, how do you go to do that? And, and so, yeah, I couldn't not do it. It's, it's the same thing with the drawings. That was stupid. Like, come on, seriously, Sharpie and cardstock and finance. There's no way that's going to work. There's no way. And I multiple times, and my wife was right. My wife multiple times was like, Hey, maybe you should just focus on building your business. And she was right. Like that's the right thing to say. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I am. Okay. Okay. And I would just grip my teeth and go back to work and I'd build spreadsheets and I would do things and, and I'd wave my hands around and, and, and then I'd be like, ah, I can't. And I would go. To, and finally I got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to grip my teeth anymore. Right. I'm going to just go all in. And so, yeah, it was scary, yeah. lonely, scary. There's, there's lots of, but it's never, it hasn't stopped. And in fact, I don't want it to stop. I've now structured my life that I have repeated. I've structured my life to feed me those moments, right? And they're, they're safe to fail, Mm -hmm. but they're never fail safe. Hmm. If, if, in fact, most of the time, Seth Godin says this, like, this may not work. If I'm doing a project that I know will work, I'm kind of bored from the beginning. If I know it'll work. Now, I believe it will work or else I won't do it. But I don't know. We can't know. That's the point. Yeah. 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 Two things. The structure. Man, that hits home. Whenever... COVID hit, I um, found out real quick that I am not a disciplined fitness person because Mm -hmm. every bit of the structure that I had in place was ripped out from underneath me. I'd been leaving house with two meals uh, every morning, being gone until five. When I got home at five, I was cooking dinner for my family. You know, we always made that a fairly healthy meal. So I was eating three balanced meals a day because of that structure. I was working out four five, six days a week sometime because I was coaching at a certain time and then I'd follow up and just do my workout afterwards. And then I'd take my, you know, take my shower at the gym, go to work, had that structure in place. I was getting a certain amount of sleep because our whole family was on a routine. You know, everybody had to go to their places. Right. That structure was wiped out. I, over the course of the next four months, gained 20 pounds, 20 to zero. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found out real quick that I, cause I kept beating myself up. Like, you know, what's wrong with you? You are a fit person. You are right. Right. It's all these things. Structure was gone. I think that's yeah. really important. Yeah. And for sure. the other thing is, I think you're absolutely right. I know you're right, that there are people out in the world who feel feel compelled to take risks 
and or you could look at the other side of the coin is they feel compelled to lean in to the things that they're passionate about in a way that they cannot they cannot they can redirect momentarily but ultimately it's this this river that their life is is a part of and they don't know anything except they're in the raft and when they get to this next place in the river they're they're going they're going to succeed they're going to make it through the next rapid they're going to make it around the next turn they don't know how but to get out of the boat and walk on land is just a journey they don't want any part of yeah. but it's lonely right and you said that it's lonely yeah any anytime you're doing anything new and novel yeah mm-hmm. which to me is the only thing worth doing yes these, but by definition, if it's new and novel, it's lonely. It's lonely. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. I think, sometimes coined thought leadership. So you could look Ooh. around to people who are leading with these new and novel thoughts. Um, yeah. A lot of lonely, lonely moments for those people yeah. because they question themselves a lot. Am I right? Am I, yeah. am I correct in the way that I'm thinking about this, looking at this? A lot of opportunity for imposter syndrome whenever you're putting yourself out there with a new thought, new idea, new direction before anyone else has. Um, What are, what are the ways that you manage that loneliness to keep going with it? Yeah. Keep leaning into yeah, it. it's it. Yeah, it's the biggest. Yeah, it's the. I was. I'm just being careful about my words here. I was going to say it's the biggest struggle mm-hmm. outside of, you know, outside of anything that could have to do with like my family or health or whatever. Um, it's yeah. How do you continue to do? the thing that's what i always call it because i i never i I couldn't call it art that's felt too fancy even though i'm convinced it is um i couldn't call it you know whatever i just have always called it a thing and and the way it works for me is it's it's often an unspeakable thing starts as an unspeakable thing there's just this like and i like i often do this because i feel like there's like a sliver right underneath my finger but i don't know it's there yet and i'm like there's something i i mean i kind of know now i know what the feeling feel i know what like a passing one mm-hmm. a passing thing that i'm not going to do feels like and i know what a thing is that like it's a little bit is it the red pill or the blue pill it's a little <laughs> bit like the red like oh no that one's not going to leave me alone yeah. so i know what the next like three years worth of projects are um even though I'm not starting to work on them yet because they still need time to bubble around a bit. But doing those things, figuring out how to continue to do them when you don't know if they'll work. You know, for me, the only, the purpose of the existing project, I think of everything in the business that we do as a project because most of them have beginning dates and end dates. We've kind of codified all this now. We have a thing called the code. So I'm just rolling through it in my head. Like the beginning dates, end dates. Um, you know, my podcast with Michael Kitsis, I told him I'll do 100 episodes. 
He's like, well, what if we're just getting, and I'm like, I, and now I don't know if I'm going to stick to that. I don't know because it's a strong opinion loosely held, but I like start dates and end dates. Um, but my only goal with the project, each project's goal is to increasingly build permission to do the next project. Hmm. That's it. And by permission, I mean financially, I mean with audience, like if, if, if the current project can give me permission to do the next one, that's all. Um, and so that's, that's like some of the structure piece, but I'll, maybe I'll just tell you a little bit about the how I deal with what I think you're pointing to. It's a bit of the imposter syndrome and I got to give some disclaimers first. Like there's, there's different versions of the imposter syndrome and it's been pointed out to me that like encouraging people, especially, especially, um, people from underrepresented communities in our industry to do crazy things may indeed not be safe for their career. I, 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 I'm in a position because of who I am that I haven't had to deal with some of those things. Yeah. And, and that's again, just what does Warren Buffett call it? The, 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 the uterary lottery. Like I had nothing to do with that. Um, so I don't know where the boundary condition is for that. I also know that there are some other, you know, like imposter syndrome. There are other really valid ways to think about imposter syndrome that are different from what I'm going to talk about. And this is just the way I, I view imposter syndrome. Um, I, it's best with a story. Like every Thursday morning, Thursday at like 10 for 10 years, Every week, I had a deadline. I had to submit my New York Times column every Thursday morning for 10 years. And every, and you gotta just keep in mind, I'm a kid from the hills in Utah. You know what I'm talking about? Like, what do I know about money and New York? And like, I, I think there were writing classes offered at the high school and the university I went to. I, believe. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I took a pottery class when I was eight. That's my, that's the extension of my art career. So if you get all that, I'm using a Sharpie and cardstock. I have a Fujitsu snap scanner. So I don't even have like a flatbed nice scan. I have a Fujitsu snap scanner. And I'm sitting in my office in the studio space I had in Park City. And I, sometimes I would write and then I'd try and illustrate it. Sometimes I had an illustration in my head and I'd write whatever. Like I get to the point where I've got it all done. I'm about to hit send. I've drawn and it's normally like a hundred pieces of cardstock over the shoulder. Like, no, no, no. If I finally get the one and I'm like, I put it in the snap scan, the things up on the page, I add it as an attachment and I type out the email. Hey, Ron, my editor at the time. I'm like, Ron, here it is. Here's it. And I, I go to hit send and right about the time when I go to hit send, I had this repeated experience so often that I started paying attention. I would look over my, I'd feel physically, I would feel like a presence. <clears throat> and I would look over, <laughs> I'd look over, I didn't expect to be this emotional. I think it's the three weeks of traveling and thinking <laughs> about things, but I looked at, I'd look over my left shoulder, which is where the door was. And I had a door just like the one I have in this studio which is frosted glass. So you could make out that there was a person out there, but you wouldn't know anything about the person. You wouldn't know if it's male or female or who it was, just a person. And 
I would feel like, and I'd look over and there wouldn't be anybody there. But in my mind, what I would see is, um, it turned out, it's funny, Justin Costelli sent me this. Um, it, it, I ended up personifying it. And I don't know, are you going to use the video? Yes. Okay, so it, I ended up, after repeated exposure to this, I ended up seeing a person that it was Mr. Burns in The <laughs> Simpsons. And I'm showing, for those of you who just listen, I'm showing this bobblehead that just after hearing this story, Justin Costelli actually sent me this bobblehead, which is one of the, <laughs> one of the most meaningful gifts I've ever been given, actually, mm. um, just because it helps with like, oh, Mr. Burns. So I would look over to get through this emotional piece for some reason. I'd look over and I'd see Mr. Burns and he would open the door. And this was almost every week. He'd open the door, he'd stick his head in and he would be like, What's going on in here? You're a kid from the hills in, and I was literally in the mountains. Like I'm looking out in the mountains. Like you're in the hills in Utah. That's, is that a sharp, that's a Sharpie? Is that, do you use a Fujitsu snap? Does anyone know? Like wait till they find out. Mm. Like wait till they find out. And then the other version of this, which I had a dream of once, was Mr. Burns came into the office and there was a big, giant, like, huge breaker switch on the wall. And it was in the on position. And above it, the breaker switch was labeled Carl's career. And Mr. Burns walked in, grabbed the breaker switch, looked at me with that evil Mr. Burns laugh and just went, and turned it to off. Now, I'm having that experience. And I'm just like, whoa, well, I got this thing and I got to send it. So I just hit send. And I almost, I would, my wife would tell you this. I, I it was like 50% of the time I'd come home and be like, oh, that's it. Ron's going to certainly just be like, hey, bud, this has been great, but you're out. Um, and then I, I remember specifically, I was at, this happens every time. It happened today, like absolutely today when I clicked on the calendar and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to Jess. Like, what am I going to talk about? What do I possibly have that would be valuable to her and anybody else? Like, and, but I remember I was in South Africa at one of my first big speaking engagements, international speaking engagements. They paid me, you know, more money than I ever thought I would make in a year ever, right? Like to go speak. And I'm in Cape Town and I pull up to the thing. We did like seven stops and Cape Town was the last one. Pull up and there's like, it's in like a stadium seating thing that seats, I can't remember. It was like, I think it was like 2,000 people. And, but when I pull up, it's in this beautiful thing and there's people outside holding signs that say like mm -hmm. Carl Richards event or something. And I pull in the car and I'm just like, what is going on? And I go to do the sound check and I walk out on the stage. And if you've been into one of those places that seat, you know, 1,200 people or something, it's just like, I can't remember what the number was. It was between 1,000 and 3,000, something like that. I, I was like, I, I can't, like I had, I walked back off and was like, I can't during the sound check. And I, and I, and I was like, and I noticed the feeling. This is before I'd personified it. I noticed the feeling. I was like, Oh, and I feel it in my chest, like oh, a little shortness of breath and just like, oh, and then, right, I, I know I started noticing that at every speaking in, of, event. I was like, oh, there's that feeling again. Then this was the part that connected it all. 
I was leaving on a big whitewater trip, kayaking trip in New Zealand. Actually, sorry, that was just another experience. It was one of the experiences, mountain bike race, I think. At the start line of a mountain bike race here in Park City, that was early enough that that might be the one. I, like, whoa, this may not work. Like, what am I doing? This is unknown. Like, I'm not. And then that was when I finally, I, I read, um, oh, Tara Branch, Radical Self-Awareness or something, her book. She talks about this story of the Buddha teaching under the Bodhi tree. And apparently there's this character in Buddhism called Mara. And Mara is a, a like a mischievous devil. And Mara is in the trees and the bushes out behind at the, like at the edge of the crowd and causing a little bit of trouble. And one of the Buddha's attendants runs up and says, Buddha, Mara's out there causing trouble. And the, the Buddha says, Oh, good. Invite her in for tea. And that, that was the connecting thread where I was like, wait. And again, I'm pointing to a different version of the imposter syndrome. But for me, I was like, wait, that feeling has been at every cool thing I've ever done in my life. I started looking back. I was like, my wedding. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I had the same <laughs> feeling. The birth of every, of every child. You know, like everything I'd ever done. And, I said, and then I was in my mind. I started seeing pictures of those events. And I was like, who was there? Right? Like, who, who was there? And <laughs> that feeling was there. Mr. Burns was at every one of those events. So it's like, why do I want to have parties? Why do I want to do anything where he wouldn't be there? And again, personify it any way you want. I just use Mr. Burns. Um, and again, I'm not pointing to the, the, I know there are like problematic psychological pr challenges with imposter syndrome that I'm not pointing to. This is probably just a strain of fear that I'm pointing to, creative fear. But that's what I've embodied. That's what I've made into imposter syndrome. So now I'm like, I now here's what I do. I feel it. And I've learned. To, so I think what we mostly do is we feel it and we think that's a stop sign. Yeah. Because it feels that way. Stop, you're going to die. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this too. Yeah. She's like, imposter syndrome is just the creative uncle or the crazy uncle. He can come on the trip, but he can't drive. <laughs> and I've also, I, so I found myself like literally I would be going to hit send. I would look over and I'd go, oh, hey, brother. I'm glad you're back. I'm just sending an email over here. Like no one's going to die. Hang out. Like I'm glad you're here. So now I feel it. Instead of feeling it and being like, oh, oh no, you've got to. I think the first thing is awareness of the feeling. Yep. No one's going to die. Everything's going to be fine. Right? And the other piece I don't like is like kick, kick fear in the teeth. Like fear, stupid. No fear. Fear has kept me alive in multiple situations. Fear is a good friend. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do is kick fear in the teeth. What I want to do is figure out how to live with it. And where is it valuable? I'm just sending an email. Come on. There's no lions that are going to eat me. I'm a trained lion look. Like I, I, like I look for lions in every bush all day long. I'm hyper alert. If I was born in a different age, I'm more suited for another age where I, like that would have been my job. So now I just notice it. And if I need to, I, I, I get some air, I go outside, but normally now I can just go, oh, 
I've totally transformed, transformed the feeling. It goes from fear to fuel. And I just say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. We must be doing something that's going to be cool. I don't know. You're right. You're right. I don't know that it's going to work. But every time that I've done it and it hasn't worked, that's actually been cool too. Mm-hmm. So let's get to work. So that's how I've dealt with it. With Now I just see Mr. Burns and I say, come in for tea. Oh, that... That is amazing. It's the, (laughs) of all the things that you could have said, don't know what I'm going to say today. (laughs) You have answered the question of how Carl, in this instance, gets, breaks through those moments, those obstacles in your life with now such a trained response but, uh, you know, that's it, taken some time to cultivate and how not just you, but anyone who feels that, I think it's a real feeling. And I don't think that it's, I think it's absolutely part of imposter syndrome because it is a, it's, it's, it's that tension that we were talking about, Right. That being able to invite that feeling of fear in, that craziness in, that wild, I'm not sure how this is going to end up in, while at the same time expecting and hoping that the outcome will be good, regardless of what the outcome is. It, it will be, right. it will be good for me. It will be good for, for people. It will be good for this work that I'm doing. And I mean that, yeah, there's look, I know we've gone way longer than your normal. So I don't want to take too much time, but I love this. Like, I think two things are important to remember. One is I've spent a lot of time researching this feeling, like a lot of time. I, I, I interviewed a bunch of people. So I talked to Seth Godin and Rob Bell and a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of people that have been through this and they all say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it, it, It's clear to me, and it's important to remember, like the people who seem to be doing the work that you admire, it's not that the feeling went away. Right. It's that the feeling's still there and they do it anyway. And they do it anyway. And and the more you do, it actually seems to get a little stronger. And I think that's, from the research at least, it's, it's a little bit because there's farther to fall, right? Like there's more air underneath you. Like, whoa, if if this fails now, that's going to be trouble. Like if I get, you know, so, so I think it's just important to remember that everyone feels it. And then there's another piece that's just important to mention. Like, I don't know. I almost feel like it's like micro dosing imposter. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. We like, there's some legitimate anxiety that can be problematic. And I, I haven't had, I feel like I've gotten close, but I haven't had that experience where I'm just literally like, you know, like incapable, frozen, broken. Um, I've done that physically to myself, but I haven't done it. I haven't done it emotionally. And if you're in that situation, I'm not encouraging you to push that. I'm, I'm saying maybe we don't need that. And there are periods of my life where I'm like, I gotta take a break. 
but those breaks are normally pretty short for me. Like I'll come home from big speaking engagements or tours and everybody in the house knows like now is not the time for deep conversations. Please let's not have budget. Like, Hey, can we, let's talk about the remodel. Yeah, maybe not today. Uh, I don't really want to be with other people, you know? So I've built in, and that comes back to, I think you and I have interacted on this one too, sort of the, the, the hustle, rest, hustle, rest, hustle, rest thing, rather than just hustle, 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 break, be thinking about hustle, rest. And this all comes from training work that you'd be super familiar with, like just period, periodization mm-hmm. of your creative output. Mm-hmm. And I, I know like if my aura ring says I'm at a certain place, I should probably scale back even the creative work I'm doing, like mm-hmm. get some rest. Mm-hmm. So I feel like last thing I'll say on this maybe is um, that large chunks of unstructured time are a prerequisite for this work, mm-hmm. not a reward for it. Mm. And again, that's back to the idea that we've built structures. I've just managed to build a structure that fits my chaos. Like I'm crazy. Like my, all my scores are crazy on all those things, you know, like the Colby thing. I'm like a one, one, 10, zero, you know, like, like, and, and, I am glad, but I can't try to fit myself into a structure where one, you know, 10, 10, zero, one lives or whatever. So, so anyway, that's what I have to say about the imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah. I, I think the, the thing that I hear you saying too is for someone who stakes their life work and purpose on the on, on the creative output the bringing something new to the world the thing that powers that is to a large degree authenticity yeah i mean Yeah. And this is who I am. Right. And I have tried to fix who I am. I've tried to change who I am. And I, I, a couple of years ago, I literally just was like, no, I'm going to go all in. Yeah. I'm going to go all in. Like I'm the only person in the world that can draw those stupid things with Sharpie and cardstock. Like, like I'm the best in the world because I'm the only one right? Like whatever. And, and, and I think, but that's really, really important that not everybody should like, if it's, I've got tons of, I, gosh, I admire my friends. just having a conversation with a friend who's lived in the same house for 25 years, been going to the same church with the same people for 25 years. It's like, the neighbors know that they're deeply respected. They're, they're woven into the fabric of the community. And I'm not. And I look at them, I'm like, oh, the stability. Mm. And when we go to have a conversation, they're like, Carl, I want, I have nothing to say. I just want to hear like, how was New Zealand? How was London? I'm like, no, how is it? He's like, Carl, I've been doing this. I'm a dentist. I go do the same thing every day. I'm like, do you want to change that? He's like, no, not bad enough. (laughs) Like, then you shouldn't. And you can hear my stories, that's fine. But will you please regale me with stories of stability (laughs) and the tree that you planted and you've watched it grow? Mm -hmm. Because I don't have that. 
So I think finding where we are in that and being okay with it. Being okay with it is really hard and important. But so not everybody should have Mr. Burns in their lives. No. But I don't think so. For someone who does and your life's work is dependent on your creative and your creative creative is dependent on your authenticity. Yeah. You can't get rid of Mr. Burns without getting rid of part of you. That that's exactly that, that like sometimes when imposter syndrome comes up, I see people talk about how they solve it. And, and again, there's a million versions of it. So that may be totally, but for me, it's not to be solved. Right. Right. Like I don't want a life without that version. My, what I'm painting as imposter. I don't want a life without it. I want, I've structured my life so that I have repeated exposure to Mr. Burns. Regular repeated exposure punctuated with, with breaks for rest. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. I don't want to lie. I don't. And I, to be honest, and I, look, I know this is a strong opinion, loosely held. I'm probably wrong about this. I don't want to live in a world where others aren't having repeated exposure to Mr. Burns. Like I want you. That's why I'm such a huge fan of like, people doing their thing. And the, and I particularly want to hear people who are massively different from me doing their thing. Because when I hear it, I'm like, Oh, that's a thing. I don't care. I'm thing agnostic. I don't care what the thing is. I just want you to have one because I have I, had this experience in New Zealand. We were at this lodge and there was a badminton thing set up out on the grass. I'm like, what? We were like out on a river. I'm like, what is going on? And the, I don't know what it was, like the national badminton team. They were something like that, like Olympics or something. And they were there and they would play back. And I talked to them at night and I, I like, I have exactly zero interest in badminton. <laughs> but those people, I mean, come on, like so excited yes. about badminton. Yes. And I was just like, tell me more. Like, when did you first get started in badminton? How, how do you know? Like, what do you, what do you mean? What do you do? What's the deal with the racket? Like, could you, how long could you play this for? I just want you to have a thing. And so I do feel like we all have a thing and I don't know. It doesn't have to be, maybe there's a crazy spectrum. I don't know, but we, I do feel like we all have a thing and I just want more people to do it because it makes the world more interesting. And in finance, the people who've traditionally had a voice have been trying to solve this problem for a very long time, this money and human problem, and we haven't solved it. And the only way it's going to get solved is if people with different perspectives bring their voices and don't let us, us being the system. And I look, I know I'm like almost blaming a victim and I know I'm, but don't let the system crush the voice. Yeah. If you have to play a little chess for a while, I get it, right? Like you're, you have to play a little bit of chess to get to the point where you're, you can finally go, ha ha, this was the voice. Like, you know, like if you have to play righteous tricks to, I had to play them. I couldn't have drawn a Sharpies. Why was it Merrill Lynch? Come on. And I'm not comparing my chess game to other people's chess game. I'm just saying, look, if you have to play a little chess, do what you need to please. I don't even, I, all I'm saying is I really want to hear your voice. And I don't think we have a hope of solving this problem 
of money and humans without different voices. Like when I hear from people who grew up just having a conversation with my friend Abraham that grew up in Nigeria, like the stories he tells me about money, I'm like, oh my gosh, how come we didn't know that? Well, because we weren't listening and we weren't creating a space where those could be heard. And I think that's what I'm most, so that's the one part about imposter syndrome that I'm like, I don't want to give up on, which is right. we need you. And I know that means new and novel. I know it means being unsafe. Sometimes I'm using that word very carefully. I don't mean unsafe, unsafe. I just mean fear and scary. So I hope, I hope we can make it. I hope we can all do our part to make it safer to navigate. Same. I don't want to add anything to that. So I'm not going to, um, Carl, I thank you for Hmm. showing up here and for bringing the whole Carl to this conversation. And that has blessed me. And I know for anyone who's listening has blessed them too. Can't imagine only part of Carl showing up and it ending up being uh, as impactful of a conversation as it has been. So Mm. thank you. Uh, You're, I know, and even in saying this, because I know how it would land with me, um, if I'm going to say it anyway, you're an inspiration to the planning Mm. community and the way that you lead with a unique voice and what's been really cool for me today is to hear the back the background of that the the um chaotic pieces of that and the not so sorted out pieces of that and the fact that you're still able to inspire that the community Mm. even Mm. not in spite of that, but because of that. And that's mm. been, it's been really neat for me. So thank you. Mm. Just thank you. It's been r- remarkable for me. So I, let me just, since I have the opportunity, like I do a lot of these conversations and I can tell like, thanks for the gift you bring to these because that's, that's creating, I'm going to use some California woo words, which I don't really mean to, but like creating the space for that kind of a conversation is amazing. And um, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. So thanks for the work you do. Cause I know you don't necessarily need to be doing this for our whole, our whole industry community profession. Um, it's a huge thing. So thank you. Thank you. I am. I, I appreciate those words and I'll align with yours earlier. I don't need to do it for the industry, but I need to do it for me. And yeah, amen. And that's why I'm here. So um, I want to make sure that anyone who would like to get in touch with you can find you. And my, um, the two ways that I know to get in touch with you are through LinkedIn and you are there as Thinking Carl. 
on LinkedIn. And then on Twitter, which is how I found you, is Behavior Gap. And that is uh, also the name of your business. So they can also go to www.behaviorgap.com to to, uh, find out a little more about your work if they want a concentrated way to find your sketches and more more about you and your work it's there so anything else yeah, you would add to that yeah i think twitter's better than linkedin for me and if you want specific work that we're doing with advisors you can go to the societyofadvice.com perfect the societyofadvice.com and it, it, you'll find yeah. i think what after this conversation you'll find what you expect there which is just a picture of a dragon and almost nothing else i love it Next conversation, Cheers, we'll talk Thank about you. The, next conversation, we'll talk about the dragon, right? For sure. <laughs> awesome. Thank Cheers. you, Carl. Uh, Thank you. For those of you who loved this episode of The Breakthrough Factor, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you can stay tuned in for future conversations with folks. Uh, if you know somebody who's had a breakthrough moment in their life, or if you are that somebody who's had that breakthrough moment, these are my favorite conversations to have with people. Please reach out. I would love to have you as a guest on the show and talk about your moments of breakthrough. And finally, I appreciate your reviews and your feedback. That helps me get better. I'm constantly looking to improve the uh, the content that you are receiving and putting it out there in a way that is easy for you to understand and receive. So keep them coming. Cheers, friends. And as always, lift heavy and be kind. <laughs>